I've got a secret gift. You want to know what it is? If you don't want to know what it is, sermon's over and you can go home. So you oh, really don't care, Pastor. I can make, give me a skillet full of bacon grease and I can turn it into gravy. That's right. <laughs> if you don't know how gravy's made, that is how homemade gravy's made. Give me a little flour, a little bacon grease, and I can make the most tasty gravy. It, it sounds sickening when you talk about it, doesn't it? That you ever thought of? When I, when I was in law school, um, I used to bake gravy, and my, my roommate, Kevin Coons, was a Penn State kid. He was a, more of an urban kid than me, and he about gagged every time he came into the kitchen and saw the mess behind in that orange skillet, because you can't make gravy in anything other than an orange skillet, right? And it just about made him sick every time he saw it. And, and, and you know, I, I had to leave a little bit of a mess. And, you know, as I've matured, I realized probably that was not a nice thing to do to my roommate in law school, to leave that mess. I don't want to leave a mess behind, right? Uh, as we mature, we, we, we don't want to leave messy areas. But, but even more just messy areas, we don't want to leave a mess of life. <laughs> At school, when you leave school, kids, you don't want to leave a mess behind. Our workplaces, we don't leave a mess behind. This is my workplace, and, and I don't want to leave a mess behind. And you all say, amen, plaster, please don't leave a mess behind. Wherever we find ourselves in public, we don't want to leave messy situations behind in our neighborhoods and our communities. We don't leave, want to leave a mess behind. We want to leave it better than, than when we came. And, and I think particularly when we talk about our families, and I think as we work through this, we'll be extended beyond just immediate family, but those that we love and those relationships, we don't want to leave behind a mess. Uh, we we want to leave a legacy of good. And, and we've been working through this concept of leaving a legacy, and we're using kind of as a series scripture, Proverbs 13, 22, the good leave an inheritance to their children's children. And this is a proverb. And, and, and last week, as we unpacked this, we, we realized that it's more than money. It's not just leaving big bank accounts. As a matter of fact, sometimes the worst thing you can leave someone is a lot of money. <laughs> because uh, they can make a mess with their life with money if you don't give them the tools to use the money. And so the good leaves something behind, and it's, it's, it's more than money. And, and, and the ideal is that, that we worked with last week was good people have a lasting impact on the kingdom of God. In other words, that, 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 that we believe that God has this kingdom of peace and mercy and grace and love. And, and as followers of Jesus, we work to build that kingdom. We work to build something better for those that we love and those that follow us. And, and it's not just something that just happens. We can't just wish this. We can't just will this. But, but it's built on our choices the choices that we make each and every day. And, and the phrase we used last week, I'm going to ask you to say this with me. Say this with me. The choices I make today will affect my legacy. It's true. The, the, the choices that you make today, the, the choices that you make tomorrow will affect the legacy that you're leaving. That the choices that we make are important. And I think it's particularly important when you consider the choices you make with those that are closest to you, the people that are closest to you, your family, your, the, the ones that you love. It is good to have Wyatt and Priscilla here from Portland. Why don't you stand? Let me see you, because they had never seen you guys. Well, they've seen Priscilla. Yeah. yeah. 
This is two weeks in a row we've had somebody from Portland. I'll bet we're the only church in Marysville that's had people from Portland two weeks in a row. But I, I think about Wyatt and Priscilla and, and Spencer and Dylan and, and, you know, my ultimate congregation is my family. You, you realize that, right? I love you folks, and, and I, I do my best to be the best pastor I can be. But my ultimate congregation, that the people that I am most responsible for sit on this second row, except for Dylan. He's in Florida. That's my ultimate congregation. And, 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 and the priority of my life, if I fail as a pastor and succeed as a dad and a husband, I will have been a success. I believe that. And it's the same for you as well. Whatever obligations you have, your ultimate obligation is your family and those you love. I know it's been probably almost 23 years ago. It doesn't seem possible, but it's probably about 23 years ago in this time frame that we dedicated Wyatt and we dedicated Spencer and we dedicated Dylan and, and we used the similar language. Pastor Dan Walters at Tri-County dedicated them all. And, 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 and the language that we use, and we've done several here, it seems like we are having a lot of babies in this congregation, praise the Lord. We are growing the church from within. We say this, in presenting this child for dedication, you signify not only your faith in the Christian religion, but also your desire that he or she may early know and follow the will of God, may live and die a Christian, and come into everlasting blessedness. I hope when we do this ritual, when, when we do dedication services, that we listen to the words that we're speaking, the, 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 the importance of it, the significance of it, the value of it, our ultimate congregations, our families, and, and those that we love. And it's, it's bigger than family. And I, I think there's a little bit of the mystery of the gospel, of what Jesus was trying to get us to see. There, there's two parables that stand out. Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and they say, but when the lawyer says, but who is my neighbor? And we know the parable. Jesus tells this parable about, about a good Samaritan, a, a Samaritan stopping and helping a good Jewish person. And, 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 and the, the context of the parable was that the neighbor extended beyond just those who lived in close proximity, but it included this Samaritan who was hated. And so the, the gospel, the, the teachings of Jesus, extends our concept of neighbor beyond just those who live close to us to people further away. And so you also have in context, Jesus is, is teaching and, and his family shows up, his mother and his brothers, and, and the implication or the inference is that they're coming because they're concerned for Jesus' safety and, and maybe he's saying, teaching some things that maybe isn't good for him and they're trying to take him away. And hey, your mother and your brothers are outside and, and Jesus says, behold, my mother and my brothers. And he refers to the discipleship, disciples around him. And, 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 the, and the context of this, considering uh, the, the Good Samaritan parable is, it's not just about where people live that make them your neighbor. And it's just not about bloodlines that make someone your family. But in this place, the family of God. Uh, we, we call each other, what, what do we used to call each other in the church? Brother and sister. And sometimes we did that because we couldn't remember each other's names, but that's okay. 
You know, the family of God, this, this close, intimate relationship, and the reality we all need to have is that there's people that God has placed in our life that, that we have an opportunity, an obligation. We have the right, the privilege to pour God's grace into their life. I'm thankful for my family, but there's other people in my life and your life as well. We want them to understand the love of God and, and we want life for them. And so we build a legacy by our choices. And, and I understand, even as Terry and I talked about the sermon last week, there, there's a great deal of guilt and joy as you start talking about legacy. What you're leaving behind. Uh, we can look at our past and, and maybe we, we see the successes or the things we've done well. And, and you know, all, all three of my boys are still in church, praise the Lord. And two of them are serving all over the, the place. And, and Spencer stuck with me. And so there's things I look at and I think, man, we must have done okay. <laughs> Truth is, every time I see my boys doing something, I realize it's not me that did okay, it's God that did okay. But we can look back on our choices, and the truth is we can have a lot of guilt. Amen? Amen. And the point of the series is not to get caught up in guilt, but to make choices now that enhance and increase our legacy. Can I give you one word that helps me when, when I look at my past? Grace. Boy, we, we can't talk about grace enough. God's grace takes my choices today and somehow allows me to move past what happened in the past. That, that somehow God can take my honest efforts, my new efforts, your efforts today. God, by grace, can take those and redeem them and use them. See, our, our legacy will be harmed if we're fixated on the past or overly concerned with the future. When we're so caught up in the past and we can't forgive and we can't forget and we can't let go, that will limit our ability to, to be effective and create an effective legacy in this moment. And this is important. I want you to hear this. Legacies are built by fully living and loving in the present. In this moment, today, folks, we 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 have, we all have past. If you have a past, say Amen, right? We all have a future, but all we possess at this moment is this moment, the present. Jesus says, "Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough problems of its own." And so, I would encourage you if you want to build a legacy that last, you will build it in the moment, in today. Today is the day, not tomorrow. So how do we, how do we live in today? How do we invest in those we love so that, we can, so that they can love God and, and love others? And, and, and how do we live in this moment? And, and particularly today, we're dealing with those that are closest to us. You know, we're not talking about loving the world. I've found in my life it's a lot easier to love the world than to love the people closest to us at times, right? How do we love those that are closest to us? Our family, those that God has given us the opportunity to, to invest in, who's invested in us. How do we love those people in a way 
that they can love God, that they can be productive kingdom people. Now, there's a helpful passage. It's Deuteronomy 6, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. It was helpful because Josh just preached out of this passage, what, two months ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I know you guys' memory, you will remember exactly all of Josh's points as I'm going through this, right? Okay, maybe. And, and I appreciate it. Josh did an outstanding job. And, and, and what I appreciate most is since Josh did such an outstanding job, I can just big picture this. And particularly focus on verses 8 and 9 as we um, work through this. But let's read uh, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1 together. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson, and can I say daughter and granddaughter, might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk, about them, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So he's talking about, okay, you're getting ready to inherit the promised land. You're getting ready to go over into this land that God has promised. And you're going to be kingdom people. And, and, and maybe you, as you go over, have an understanding of what it means to be a kingdom person. But, but how do you live in a way that these, these kingdom principles are transferred to your kids and your grandkids, and upon your, as a legacy. How does it transfer? How do you do this? How do you accomplish this? And, and I, he says, you, you know, you're to know that God is one, and you're to love God with your whole heart and all your soul and with all your might. Now, I think it's proper uh, when we look at this to consider the words of Jesus. Jesus uh, gives a very similar command when he gives the great commandment, but he also includes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and this wasn't a new command. This idea of loving your neighbor is all over the Old Testament as well. And Jesus takes these two commands and he said, love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Augustine would say, love God and do what you want. In other words, if you fully love God, all these other things will begin to fall into place. And, and, and so this is what Moses is saying. You need to teach your kids to love God with every fiber of their being. And they lead to love their neighbor as themselves. And, and if they live like that, all these other things will work out. I want to leave a legacy that helps those who follow to love God and love others. At the end of my day, when I'm gone, I want my kids, and at some point probably my grandkids, we're in no hurry because I don't want to be a grandfather. that make me real old. I want those who follow me to be able to love God and love others. I think about this church, and I'm so thankful for the legacy of this church. 
The, those who've served. And, you know, every week in both services, in the first service, it's, it's usually Gene or Carol or Geneva. I'm reminded of Max. I see Susie back there. And I'm reminded that there's people that were before me that have made a huge impact on me. And I, and I didn't get to know them as much as I'd like. You know, we, we live in this legacy, and, and I want our church to continue that legacy. And, and I want people to say about this church, they love God and they love others. You know, there's something powerful in that. And, and, and so that's my desire. So how do we do that? How do we leave a legacy like this? And, and I believe in verses 7 through 8, you, you see s- several things that are important. It says... Moses says, talk about it when you sit in house, the house, when you lie down, uh, when, you're, when you're walking, whatever you're doing, talk about it wherever you are. And so, in other words, all the time. Uh, there is a, um, an ideal that was in my mind, and I believe was in many churches and in many church people's minds, there was this separation between the, the sacred and the secular. You know, there, there, there's our sacred time and then our secular time. There's, there, there, there's this time and then there's God's time. And, and, and there's no such concept taught in the Bible. God doesn't see secular time and sacred time. All of life is sacred to God. Your, your time here is sacred. Your time at work is sacred. Your time at home is sacred. When you sit down and watch TV, our Heavenly Father sees that as sacred time. Holy time. And so there's this concept or this, and this ideal that, that Moses is saying all of your time is set with the ideal that God is holy, that God is one, and that you're to love Him with your entire being. He says, bind them on your hand. In other words, the the things we do as as we move and use our hands, we're reminded that the activities of life are to teach and to to further this kingdom, this love of God. Were there as frontals on your forehead? In other words, right between the eyes. And and, and the biblical concept is the eye is the window to the soul. And so what Moses is saying is you're wearing them there, you're reminded that it's not just about the activities, but it's the attitudes of your heart. See, real love is right attitude and right actions. It says, bind them on the doorpost, which is the private place, and put them on the gates, what the public would see. So Moses is saying, may your public life and your private life reflect the love of God. All of life. All the things you do, the reasons you do them, the things that you do in public, the things that you do in private. A lasting legacy is created when our entire life consistently shows the love of God. Now, with each sermon, there's a missional aspect. I I hope that when we leave here, there's a way that we can put what I've talked about to action. And, and, and our, our missional aspect for, for this sermon series is Vacation Bible School, okay? Doesn't that just sound, you guys look excited about it. Uh, you're, some of you look like you're getting ready to run out the back door and uh, because you're afraid I'm going to ask you to volunteer. We need you. We need you. 
We need volunteers for Vacation Bible School. And we've got reasons. There's key people that typically are involved. Carol and Jean are always involved in Vacation Bible School. But they're with April, rightfully so. Uh, Mara is usually involved in Vacation Bible School. She's got some sort of lame excuse about delivering a baby. Uh, Judy Luganbill is usually involved in Vacation Bible School, but she's like limping around on a replaced hip just recently. We need you. We need you to sign up. And if we want to have a Vacation Bible School that makes a lasting impact on the kids in our community, we need to all pull together to do it. Amen? Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say they need you. Tell them right now. They need you. Tell them. Yeah. So everybody should have heard they need you. We need you. There'll be somebody in the back. There's a table there where you can sign up. We also need you in Uptown Friday night. Uh, we've had two very successful Uptown Friday nights, and people are inquiring about our church. And, you know, I, I, I think most people have... I'm just going to tell you, about 40% of the people in our community have no interest in church. And so the church has to be visible and there for them, for them to understand what the church is all about. They have a misconception of what the church is all made up of. It's true. It's, it's the reality. And so if we wait for people to come in our doors, we'll be waiting a long time. And so the church, like Jesus, has to leave what's comfortable and go to people. And Uptown Friday Night is an awesome place for you to just be with your friends and neighbors and show them the love of Christ. So Emily's there. Emily, wave at him. Emily needs you. Emily, tell him, I need you. Yes. And so I'd hope you'd sign up. That's, that's the missional aspect, but there's the practical aspect of this as well. And, and, and I'll be honest, there, there may be a little pain in this. You ever go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you may feel a slight pinch? And then he jabs a stinking needle in your arm, and it hurts like crazy. There may be a pinch here. You, you may feel a slight jab. I do. As I talk about these things, and I talk about the legacy that I want to see, there's a jab. There's a pinch. Parents, grandparents, you, you want your kids and your grandkids to love God and experience His love? Does your life fully reflect the love of God? Are your private life and your public life consistent? Are your actions and attitudes consistent. Hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say, inconsistency harms legacy. Yeah. Nothing is more harmful to the kids and the people who know you best is for you to profess one thing and live another. As a matter of fact, I, I fully believe it would be better to profess I don't believe anything than to profess trust in Jesus and live something inconsistent with them. Because what you teach to those who are, you're investing in is that it's acceptable to have a public persona but privately live completely different. 
Do you preach integrity, but cheat on your taxes? Do you show up at church, but complain the whole way home? Do you have loved ones you wish were in church, but when you talk to them about your church, all you talk about is things that you don't like anymore? I, I may be walking on toes here, and, and I, I, I'm not purposely trying to be offensive, but I think it's got to be said. But folks, I understand. Has the church changed in the last 30 years? Amen. Duh. Your restaurants have changed. In the All of life has changed in the last 30 years. That's the nature of life. And the church has changed. And some things we like and some things we don't. Amen? If all you talk about with your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors is about the things that you don't like, why in the world do you think they'd ever want to be part of your church? Do you love me still? Yeah. Eh, if you have, you do. That's okay. <laughs> it matters. It matters. It affects our ability to leave a legacy. Do you merely talk about the love of God or do you show the love of God? Good old practical James. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So do you profess love or do you profess love and show love? Do you believe in the Bible but never read it? Do you say prayer is important but never pray? Do you profess this, this life of, of salvation and a changed person and full of the Holy Spirit but still slam other people? Do you claim to be different but have the same attitudes when you don't get your way? You know, I'm not trying to create false guilt, but I think we need to look at ourselves. What, what, what was the saying? We, we, we have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. <laughs> Uh, sometimes we're our own worst enemy on these things and, and, and showing the love of God because of inconsistency in our life. And, and I'm not trying to, to, to be difficult, but it's like, imagine you go to a car, uh, an auto repair place and uh, they find that your brakes are shot. But the auto repair person, Ryan, would you do this? The auto repair person doesn't tell you your brakes are shot because they don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> God is less concerned with your feelings and more concerned with saving your life and the life of your kids. And, and sometimes we have to face some harsh realities. We have to wake up and see ourselves for who we fully are. We have to hold up the Word of God to our life, and we have to adjust our life to the Word of God instead of adjusting God's Word to our life. 
And so I understand that, that when I'm talking about this, it may seem harsh, and I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be uh, more difficult. But, but I think sometimes we need to be realistic. Inconsistency harms our legacy. And when we claim one thing and we live another, those who love us most are the ones who are most harmed. So I saw an ad on a truck several years ago, and I, it's always stuck with me. And the truck was driving down the road, and it was a delivery truck. And, and their logo, their advertisement was on time and not damaged. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, man, I thought, that's a low standard. You know, what, what are they saying? They're saying, in essence, hey, we'll get your stuff where we said we would get it, when we said we would get it there, and we won't break it when we do it. <laughs> Not a very high standard, is it? Maybe you fulfill the contract, but shouldn't that be expected? To leave an extraordinary legacy, we have to move beyond the ordinary. You know, to, to me, it, I, I think in our, in our language, one of the words for, for holy is extraordinary, living beyond the ordinary, that, that God calls us to live this life where, where we're not just going through the motions, but His Holy Spirit can fill us in such a way that He makes our attitudes and our actions consistent, that He sanctifies not just our public life, but our private life. He makes all that we do sacred and holy committed to Him. So what do you do? Maybe it's a new resolve. Maybe it's a, a new consistency. Maybe it starts with confession. We don't like confession, do we? You know, that, that's a Catholic thing. It's not a Catholic thing. It's a Christian thing. It's what Christians do. Confess your faults to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray with one another. You know, this isn't about coming up to an open mic and confessing to everybody, but it's having people in the church close enough that when you mess up, you can say, man, I messed up. I need you to pray. That's the importance of small groups and Sunday school classes. It's, it's building relationships where you can have vulnerability with somebody and really be real and authentic what would happen in your relationship if you confessed to somebody? What would happen in your relationship with an adult child if you were to confess a failure to live to the standard that you desired? Sorry we didn't pray enough. Sorry I didn't read the Bible with you enough. I'm sorry, we, I'm sorry I was inconsistent here. I'm sorry I spent too much time at work. I'm sorry I failed you there. What would happen in, the, in your workplace if you confessed to a coworker that you weren't being respectful enough to a boss or to your job? See, there's power in confession. Amen? There's, there's power in confession. James writes, confess your sins one to another. And then almost as if this ideal of confessing and righteousness are all rolled up together. And I think they are, that, that, that righteous people are willing to confess as quickly as Anybody. As a matter of fact, it, the path to righteousness is paid by confession. It says, confess your sins one to another, and the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
See, I believe God's calling us <laughs> to be a people who are humble enough, authentic enough, You know what millennials are looking for? You know why people are flocking away from the church? And you realize that, right? We can sit inside these walls and act like everything's the same, but it's not. You know, I've wondered why God's called me into the ministry. You know, I, you know, I, I was perfectly happy yelling at other lawyers. I was. You could lie with immunity as a lawyer. It was expected. No. <laughs> And one of the reasons I think God called me is, you know, folks, I'm not political, you know. This isn't some political, and I'm not saying pastors were, but this wasn't my job track. And I think it's given me a freedom just to be truthful. I want you to know that in the church today, there are problems. We are losing a generation. And it's not all right by me. It's not all right because my boys are in that generation. And you know why? Authenticity. Confession is authentic. And in our church, when we are real, man, this is what I, this is what I aspire to, Wyatt. I do. But I know there's been times I've failed. That's my, that's my aspiration. Boy, sometimes I feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble. We're a holiness church. But if holiness means that I have to say I'm perfect and I never mess up and I never have to confess and I never have to strive for more, I don't want that. Because no. it's not where I live. I live where you folks live, where sometimes I feel like I've got it all right, and sometimes I feel like a bumbling idiot. Say amen. <laughs> sometimes we think you're a bumbling idiot too, Pastor. That's where we live. So we get to this point where confession's not perfect fam, or this isn't about perfect families. This is about imperfect families doing the best they can to follow God. Not willfully sinning, not, not putting a blind eye to sin and saying, hey, we can sin anywhere, any way we want because we're just human, but just human people doing their best to follow Jesus. And that's who I am. Oh, I got off my notes. I got preachy. I need some prayer time. Amy, why don't you come and, and play? Um, I'm not even going to have you stand. If you want to come and spend some time, maybe you just want to pray in your pews. If you're like me, as I hear this message, there's a pinch. There's a jab. There's alarm bells going off in my life, and I need to talk to God for a few minutes. It's, it's 11.51. I'm going to spend a couple minutes in prayer, and I'd invite you, if you want to come pray, pray at your pews if you want. You can, and then at about 11.53, 11.54, I'm going to close this in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm 
I stand before you in need of you. That, that I look at who I am, the vessel that I am, and I realize I need more of you. It's not that I'm walking away or I'm blatantly trying to disobey you, Lord, but I just need more of you today. There's too much at stake. In our families, there's too much at stake in our community for us to be less than authentic, real, seekers of you, broken when we fell, joyful, Lord, when you allow us to do something through your spirit that we couldn't otherwise do. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, may we be um, vessels who are able to be used by you that won't be so caught up in our own self-sufficiency, Lord, that, that somehow we just do it on our own strength. Where we are weak, you are strong. And so, Lord, as I consider all these things and I consider my own life, I'm even more aware of my need for you. I need you every hour. It's not a Sunday morning fill-up, Lord, but it's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute dependence upon you. You're calling us, Lord, to be holy, to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. And I think of you and I'm not there yet. So Lord, help us who are mature to to strive for the upward call of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, who have this maturity of life, who, who want to move beyond childish things, move beyond milk to solid food, to get to this point where we really look at you and we really look at our own lives and we're willing to see ourselves for who we are. Not to justify sin, Lord, but Lord, to strive to be more like you every day. Give us an authenticity in our homes and those that know us most, Lord, that's powerful. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful, Lord, for the blessings that you've given to me. You've blessed me beyond what I deserve. And Lord, you've blessed this church beyond what we deserve. And isn't that what grace is all about? So Lord, help us to live in your grace. Not not consume with the past or consume with the future, but make choices today. Today that honors you and builds a legacy of love. Now, Lord, be with these folks. Bless them. They're good people. 
I, I'm so privileged to be their pastor. Lord, I'm privileged to be part of this great congregation that's doing so much in this community. And Lord, I, I know there's more you want to do through us and in us. Bless us as we leave this place. Not, not with finances or, or things or anything like that, but bless us with an awareness of you. Where can we go from your presence? Lord, wherever we find ourselves, you are there. And help us to watch for your move and to follow. Now, Lord, I love you. I praise you. I give you thanks for this time. Bless us, keep us, sustain us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.